It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. The King is about to speak. I need everyone to grab a seat. Like grab a mobile device, (laughs) pull up your Twitter account. Don't be afraid. Like you are probably listening in the confines of your office, your vehicle. You are someplace safe. We're going to get to this COVID-19 in a moment. Crazy and the King are about to speak. What's popping, Julie? How are you? Um, pretty good, pretty good. Staying in the house a lot. Lots of coronavirus stuff happening. Yeah. So, you know, there's that. Other than that, I'm I'm pretty damn good. Yeah, you won 100% this week. Uh, you feel better? I, I am on the mend, yes. I actually, when we're done recording, I'm headed to the gym. I don't think I told you I'm in half marathon training right now. So, oh, shuck. Yeah. All right. That's some good stuff. So yeah. that's a great way to actually kind of jump into it because... Uh, you becoming a even more fantastic woman. We're in Women's History Month, and uh, depending on when this publishes, uh, we've actually celebrated International Women's Day. I know that that just slipped by, and I want to make sure that we acknowledge, I definitely acknowledge the incredible, incredible contribution and presence of the many, I mean, just a number of incredible women Uh, that surround and support me, that surround and support all of us. Uh, We absolutely appreciate uh, each and every one of you, to include you, Julie. Thank you. And and on International Women's Day, we actually had a good reminder of how far we still have to come as women with uh, the last female suspending her campaign for the presidency, Elizabeth Warren, on International Women's Day. Uh, I know that was a, a tough blow to a lot of uh, women around the world and and young women who are looking to kind of break that final glass ceiling. Um, but we, we live on and we fight another day. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, again, just leaning towards that fatigue that you you uh, you make reference to. I actually read an article uh, that Claire Zillman of Fortune magazine, she puts together uh, a great newsletter that comes out and an excerpt from one of her recent recent episodes. I'm going to read it. It says, quote, we were already approaching this point of fatigue two years ago when McDonald's flipped its golden arches to resemble a W for women. Really what she's talking about, listeners, is that not every woman out there is happy with celebrating Women's History Month, this month of March, or International Women's Day. A lot of them feel like it's an empty promise. It's a marketing ploy for a lot of organizations to just simply move more goods and products. And so she goes on to say that um, the burger chain faced backlash for the stunt, but the lesson has not taken hold. This year in 2020, the oil and gas company Shell, which is S-H-E-L-L, says it is becoming Shell like S-H-E-L-L, Shield for International Mm -hmm. Women's Day with a logo at a station in San Dimas, California, uh, receiving a tiny, a teeny tiny apostrophe. I won't finish the rest of it, but Uh, Claire's point is that, (laughs) yeah, Claire's point is, you know, some of this stuff is cute uh, and and we kind of understand why organizations are doing it. 
but but there is a a bit of fatigue in the marketplace and so really what what women are asking for is not not to just put the message out not just to put the press release out not just to stand at a podium and and bang your hand on the podium and say how much you support women but to to actually show them so uh shout out to all of the women uh for international women's day and for this month of march i can assure you that uh, julie and i are not uh using crazy and the king as a marketing ploy um we really really care about uh each and every one of you and it's great catharsis let's be honest absolutely absolutely so i'm gonna jump in um, yeah. So, you know, the question becomes, I'm wondering if pay is being brewed the same. Like we're talking <laughs> coffee. You know, we're talking that stuff that gets people excited. Like, I, I don't even know the real, real number. I, I, I failed to do it prior to this episode, but the amount of money spent on coffee worldwide is astronomical. Like, it is a crazy big amount of money, but but in 2018, Starbucks actually announced that it had reached 100% equity pay equity for men and for women, and people of all races performing the same work. It took them almost a decade to complete that, and I want to just stop there for a moment. We're talking Starbucks, a, a little more than I think 300,000 employees around the world. It took them about a decade to go through and and achieve pay equity for for the majority, the largest of their uh, workforce. Back in March of 2019, actually at a shareholders meeting, Julie, the company said that it had maintained for another year, I'm assuming the second year in a row, that it had maintained that it, uh, it maintained pay equity and it was also able to verify that China and their Canadian stores had also fulfilled the company's commitment to achieving uh, gender and pay equity. So I love the fact that that Starbucks is pushing uh, in this way. And this might be a good time to mention for our listeners. There's a website out called Employers. I'm sorry, Employers for PayEquity.com. Employers for PayEquity.com. You can take a look at it. It has three tenets. Talks about trans uh, transparency and a couple of other tenets. Uh, shows you some logos of great organizations that have signed on, um, you know, in that pursuit of pay equity. So it's good. The reason why I bring this up and ask the question, wondering if pay is being brewed the same, because it ain't. I mean, you, okay. you, it's just so not. we're getting the butt, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it's just not. So what, what, what's the butt? Like, is it is it a calculation uh, is it the math is uh, it yeah i mean we could talk i think about, i have an idea but but fill me in i know but see, we could talk about the 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 math style we can talk about how they're doing the calculation medium versus mean i'm not going to get into that everyone knows the different definition of median versus mean and how you arrive at those i'm going to focus yeah. on that short article that we found over on hr dive uh, and they actually found another issue so i'm telling you about 2018 20 19, but HR Dive actually found that uh, workers at airport Starbucks locations were facing racial pay gaps and LGBTQ discrimination. There was a labor union, uh, Unite Here, that labor union said that the workers at a number of U.S. airport 
uh, Starbucks locations operated by a vendor, HMS Host, uh, are yep. facing a, a number of discrimination and harassment allegations, and it is extremely unfortunate. So that that actually caught my eye, the HMS Host. You and I both travel a lot. And I would say at least probably 50% of the time, it might be more, when I check out at a Starbucks or a different type of restaurant or vendor at an airport, at the top of the receipt, you'll see HMS Host. So they're obviously a very large, large company working under many brand umbrellas, but they are representing the brand. Yep. And so are are they franchisees? Are there just some that are allocated because of where they're at, um, that they have to be um, operated by HMS hosts? Is that a, a labor thing? So HMS hosts operates uh, in a number of airports all around the country. I was trying to pull it up. Um, there's 142, uh, HMS. And what I'm saying is H is in Harry, M is in Mary, S is in Sam, the word host, HMS host. There's 142, uh, locations in 27 airports, uh, around the country. Uh, I believe that they, uh, cover that footprint covers, uh, around 2067 unionized, uh, employees, Julie unionized employees. Okay. That makes it even more intriguing yeah. as to why this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. And so again, they have a number of allegations, not just in general, uh, across the Starbucks footprint. They've had allegations in Philadelphia with one restaurant. They've had allegations here in Baltimore at BWI airport, uh, of a racial nature. They've had a number of allegations at several of their airports. And of course, uh, when you go to their website, they say that, um, let me just find it. I think I have it. Several allegations go to their website. They got a statement up this basically, I, I won't read the statement, but they're denying these most recent allegations related to Starbucks. And really what they say is that they are in quote negotiations, contract negotiations with Starbucks. Here's my challenge. Uh, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. My challenge is, number one, I believe personally that if you are going to contract with a vendor that yeah. is going to manage and or say that they represent you, they're operating as if they are you, then I feel like they should be held to the very same standard that the company is held to. So yes. if HMS host wants to operate these 100 and 42 Starbucks locations, then you should find and be held to the same accountability and standard for pay equity as a regular Starbucks, whether it be franchise, whether it be corporate, whether it be other. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. Well, and uh, you know, you're absolutely right. If there are 1,000 non-franchise stores and 1,000 franchise stores, and I'm using that that tag franchise loosely, you can't say that you are pay equity, pay equality, if everyone that wears a Starbucks hat and apron is not 
paid equally, regardless of the vehicle through which they're getting paid. And I mean, that's such bullshit, right? We, we encounter that a lot in our community where companies want to hire people with disabilities on a nonprofit's payroll, but then try to use that person as an employee when we're getting to our affirmative action numbers. They're always trying to find those quick fixes to to prop up the brand or to prop up the the utilization rates and all those kind of things. And it's one of the most frustrating things that that I encounter, less so than we used to, but still too often. One really interesting thing that I noticed here too, Torn, is that you remember um, in like I think it was 2019, maybe late 2018, when Starbucks closed all of their stores for racial bias training. Yep. Um, Not the HMS host stores. No. They didn't close. No. They didn't get that training. Oh, no. I don't want to. I don't know if they received it, but I know that they did not close. Well, yes, they remained open on the day of training. Mm -hmm. That's fair enough. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, again... You know, are we playing a PR game here, Starbucks? Are we actually working towards equity? Or are those people that work at HMS Host or under that umbrella, are they less than, right? Are, are, Are they by default not a part of the Starbucks family? Yeah, and again, I think you know what's what. What was interesting is how we started the story and how much you know Starbucks put into the process of uh, achieving pay equity. It took them more than a decade. And I know that they had a number of starts and stops. I know that they probably had a lag time of preparation and research. Uh, What do we put in place in terms of strategy? What are the tactics going to be? Some of those tactics were they created some tools and best practices for preventing disparities. They had a calculator for objectively determining you know, the starting pay ranges based on experience. They went through and gave out some raises and bonuses for individuals. And they even talked about and looked at, as you just mentioned, ensuring that systemic bias uh, doesn't play a role in, in, in how an individual is compensated. And so I think, you know, in part, we're sharing the story because it speaks to a number of, uh, of levers. Number one, the lever of you know, corporate being connected to vendors that are working on their behalf. that That's a lever. It speaks to two uh, organizations in any industry, no matter what industry you're in, what is it going to take for you to find equity, pay equity, gender pay equity uh, inside of your organization? And are you absolutely committed? When I say absolutely committed, I mean, are you absolutely committed to to doing that. The CEO of Catalyst, her name is Lorraine Harriton, H-A-R-I-T-O-N. She says, you know, instead of instead of supporting the concept of equal pay in principle, companies must act decisively to close the pay gap. Decisively. Yeah. Like, Torin. don't play around, no pity cat, just get to it. You understand? Yeah, and, and I, I hear you. Um, but the reality is, is that even if Starbucks has been working on the, this for 10 years, and that's great, they didn't have to make a big PR blitz out of something that they know is not true. I mean, and that's really in my brain, like do all the right things and talk it. To, and I don't expect you to be perfect. I, I don't expect perfection. I am not a, a purist test or a purity test person. But I do expect if you're going to go out and, and put out the articles and do the big splash, that you've done your P's and Q's 
And that that means everyone who works at Starbucks, everybody who serves Starbucks is included in that number. You know, I mean, to me, it just feels like it's a breach of trust in terms of what I actually know Starbucks is doing. If they're not going to be fully transparent and they're not going to be fully inclusive of all of their employees, especially those that, um, you know, I mean, airport work is not easy. And, and those jobs are often people with disabilities, minorities, LGBTQ, so potentially even more diverse than a, a regular Starbucks store. They have to, we have to talk about the whole story. Yeah, well, I will say, in, you know, in closing on this one, uh, late January, it, it, about a couple of, mo- couple of weeks back, uh, their CEO, Kevin Johnson, he did go on CNBC and he told uh, the organization that, well, he told the audience that Starbucks would no longer exclusively license Starbucks locations at U.S. airports to HMS hosts, but that HMS hosts would, quote, continue to be a partner of the coffee chain. So it's something that I'm sure some of our listeners uh, will interface with. I know we have international listeners. We have a number of high-flying listeners that are going to be moving in and out of airports around the country. And I want you all to consider that. You know, I'm not suggesting that you don't spend, but I want you to think about how you spend. I want you to think about, you know, what is it that we are contributing to? What is it that we are propping up because we're supporting it with our hard-earned dollar? Yes. So that, I think, jumps us nicely into our next story for this week. And um, you actually pointed this story out to me, and and it's another one from HR Dive, and it's called People with Disabilities Are Left Behind. And we just had February's uh, unemployment data participation data come out um, just last week, and I think this is important um, as we kind of think about the next piece of diversity and inclusion. And and so really at the end of the day, and you hear me say this all the time, is that workers with disabilities are still not seeing the benefits of our focus as as employers and as DNI experts on their employment rates, on their workforce representation. And we're not seeing increased participation in the labor force. We're not seeing um, much movement in terms of the employment rate or the unemployment rate for people with disabilities. And we're still stuck at around 4% of the Fortune 1000 being inclusive of people with disabilities in their DNI strategies. And so there are a lot of conversations, Torin, that you and I have, a lot of conversations that I have on Twitter. And I hear a lot about how people of color, women, some other groups really don't want to hear about people with disabilities because they want to talk about that we haven't fixed the race gap, we haven't fixed the gender gap. Those inequities still exist. and um, But we're making strides. We're not perfect by any means, and I'm not diminishing those. But I am tired of being told by other diverse groups that we don't matter and that we don't have a place at the table. 
And it's especially frustrating when we're talking to DNI leaders and they're still only having an appetite for race and gender. Yeah. And I got to tell you, um, and I share that frustration because oftentimes that conversation leans heavily towards gender and not race. I was on an incredible call this week with a well-recognized uh, organization, multiple locations all around the world. Uh, and they called, you know, because they needed some support in preparing for a meeting they had uh, last week. And, and they wanted my, you know, they wanted me to put my eyes on their ideas, if you will. Fine. I did it. You know, I, it was a virtual coffee meeting with no coffee. Uh, and so, you know, when I list, looked at everything that was captured, the focus was on women and not on anything else. And so I, I share and understand and appreciate. I'm very clear when I say that. I appreciate as well as understand your frustration because I feel like the same happens as it relates to race uh, and so what that says to me is that the two of us, if we could touch and agree, would probably say to everyone listening, we cannot afford to minimize the voice of the underrepresented, whomever they are. No one's plight is any more uh, than another's plight. And some might say, Julie, you know, and, and this is straight off the top, you know, some might say, well, those with disabilities are receiving some sort of benefit. They have some level of income. They have some financial support coming from their state uh, or some other agencies. You don't receive that for being black. So, but that's a stereotype. That That's just as stereotypical as me saying that a black woman is a welfare queen. Mm. That's not, it's not true. It's not a fair assessment. And no one can live on social security disability. Agreed. Period. And we're, I mean, the, the money in itself is well below the poverty line. Where I will acknowledge that you're correct is that one of the biggest barriers to employment for people with disabilities is that social safety net. And it is our, ourselves in terms of our community. Um, you know, if you go and you get a diagnosis of being bipolar, you're told to go file for social security. You're never going to be able to work. Just hang it up now. And then after you are told this by a professional and you go and, and do this and think that this is the rest of your life, if you try to go back to work, you get penalized you lose that safety net. And so the entirety of the system and lowered expectations for people with disabilities creates some of the stereotype that you're talking about. Yeah. And you know, I was in a, at a conference a couple weeks ago and I sat down and I was talking to some people who help people with disabilities get jobs like from a Goodwill or an Easter Seals that kind of thing. And they when we talked about what some of the challenges that they were facing in terms of helping an individual, I'll call him Joe, get a job. What they focused on was what was broken with Joe, what was wrong with Joe. And not, 
all of the things that Joe had been accomplishing, all of the things that he was capable of. And what I challenge them is, is to think outside of the box and to say, okay, if we are going for a, a bagger position, and again, I'm just being very generic and a little stereotypical, does it require great interview skills to be a bagger at Trader Joe's? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Do do a do a working interview. Do some, you know, puts things on the shelves, take some direction, that kind of thing. But we are our own worst enemy sometimes. So I, I acknowledge that. But the other thing is, is that A, it isn't just white folks who have disabilities, right? That's Black cool. people, Hispanic people, Latinx people. It all have disabilities at, at generally speaking, right at or a little bit higher than white folks. Women are more likely to be, be disabled than men. And so when when we're talking about and advocating for women, when we're talking about and advocating for um, black people or people of color, that includes people with disabilities. And when you shove us off the table, you're shoving a quarter of your own own population, your own community off the table hands down, without even a second thought. No, you're absolutely right. And I mean, you gave some great examples. And, you know, as I'm as I'm listening to you, Julie, I, I sit and think, I wonder who is, and, and I know it's happening. I just don't know who is doing it. But I wonder who's in the ear of our local, state, and federal politicians uh, demanding that um, this disability piece is on the equation, that because I don't hear it from the highest levels. I don't hear yeah. it uh, you know, from a debate stage. I don't hear it from uh, the White House, if you will. I don't hear it from the high, I don't hear it from you know, the governor of Maryland. I can't tell you uh, the last time I've seen a press release, again, not suggesting that they haven't done one, but I haven't seen a press release from the governor of Maryland around what our state uh, what we may be doing to collaborate with the employers to address people with disabilities. So as I listen to you, it just reminds me of the journey of learning. Yeah, and you're you? absolutely right. Yeah. And, and really, the the one thing, and even at, I work for a nonprofit, and I've been kind of one of my trumpets, one of my mantles for this year with our leadership is that there's a lot of representation of us in Washington, in D.C., at leadership, at boards, um, deciding our fate and our future, and we're not represented there, right? If a, a bunch of able-bodied people are making all of the decisions for the disabled people, then something is broken. Just like white people shouldn't be making all the decisions for black people or um, people of, of Latin heritage, if we're not represented, we're never going to have our voices heard first. And we did have some of the Democratic candidates do a really nice job. Um, I can say probably at least half of them had fully accessible websites. Um, Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, um, at least I know of those two had uh, disability and inclusion policies um, within their um, their platforms. But too often, the only thing that DC and our governments are hearing are charity and healthcare. Those are important things, and I'm not discounting that, but that's not what employment is about. Employment is about finding talent and connecting that talent with the right employer 
and making sure that our systems can allow people with disabilities to get to that interview, to get to that day of hire. And right now that's not happening. And that's the other biggest barrier to employment are all those processes and systems. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. And again, you just show, you know, the reason why it's a robust conversation or should be a robust conversation, one that we cannot afford to allow to slip below our radar. It has to be, and and that's the nuance of doing this work is that we have to be able to move through uh, the various repositories, knowing that there is information and insight uh, and example inside of each of those repositories that needs to be highlighted, that we should always be in a posture of who are we missing from the conversation? Who's not sitting Absolutely. at this particular table? Who's not in this room with us while we're making these decisions? Who have we left behind through this particular piece of legislation or this workplace benefit or this particular outing that we are doing to celebrate our employees? Who, 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 who? We should be asking, asking, asking all the time. Make sense? Absolutely. So I think um, in the light of coronavirus, we have a couple of resources that you wanted to mention before we hit name drops. Sure. Yeah. So it's real quick, uh, you know, because we have some international uh, listeners uh, and maybe even those of you that are in the States, you may want a different view on the virus. Uh, We put up the website link for World World Health Organization, uh, which is www.who.int. Uh, We put that up and then we're also going to drop an open source list uh, of COVID-19 and it's a list that really highlights what a lot of organizations are doing in light of the virus, uh, case tracking statistics, some articles uh, and resources, other conference cancellations. Again, not a complete list, but it's a, a big enough list that it may give you and or your organization some uh, ideas or examples if you're not necessarily aware of where to start. Yeah. And, and it's definitely going to give you an idea of the impact. It's fairly overwhelming to take a look at. And don't forget to visit the WHO site and the CDC site if you're not sure of what to do, how to stay safe, what to stock up. Yeah. So I don't have a name drop, but you do. I do. I have a really, really big name drop this week. So uh, late um, February, uh, our first and and arguably favorite client, um, Pepsi Beverages, received the inaugural Gold Excellence in Disability Award from the Department of Labor. Um, And what that means is that they have been shown to have a very robust hiring focused um, program for people with disabilities throughout PepsiCo. We are incredibly proud of them. We're incredibly proud of the program that we built with them, um, Pepsi Act, uh, through Disability Solutions. And um, kudos to that team. It is well-deserved, and they are going to be on the road talking about it. You'll probably see us together some over the next year and and really taking advantage of – being first in in class and being a first adopter and taking the seven years of work that they've done to get to this place um and and get the the awards that they uh that they well deserve yeah shout out to pepsi we appreciate organizations that are trying to do better trying to do more challenging others that are in their peer group to do better and to do more so shout out to you and your team for working with pepsi act and pepsi in general to get them where they are today. And I know that they're not pulling their foot off of the gas pedal. This is just, you know, another nope, nope, feather nope. in their cap. So I'm happy for them. 
Absolutely. The work never ends. So I don't know what you're up to for the next couple of weeks. I'll be honest, I'm a little bit of a prepper. So I've got lots of food and water and Netflix kind of in my future for the next couple of weeks and hoping that everyone stays safe and, and can get to um, the conferences that they're attending. And we're looking forward to seeing everyone that's able to travel in London uh, in about 10 days. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. I've had three events canceled. Uh, three oh online events canceled uh, with private clients. You know, we've worked a bit re- remote and virtual, if you will. So we'll see what the week ahead holds. But for now, I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe. Make sure you push us out on LinkedIn. Push us out on Twitter, Facebook, and some of the other social networks. I know it's not as uh, uh, you know, sensational as the latest gossip and it's not as trendy <laughs> as the entertainment news and you know, we're not flexing in $300,000 vehicles and all of that other stuff, but what we are doing is talking about something that's near and dear to the definition of humanity. Catch me on Sirius XM, channel 126 1pm 1 Eastern each and every Sunday. 1pm Eastern each and every Sunday. Be a better human. Have an awesome remainder of the week. For now, Julie and I are ghosts. See ya. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.